Okay, so in the mid-1950s, Pablo Picasso moved to Cannes. He would stand on his balcony and paint what he saw. What he saw was a lot of pigeons. These aren't famous Picasso paintings, but for decades they were the city's most famous pigeons. Then in 2001, 24-hour party people, that crazy movie about the Manchester music scene, came to the Cannes Film Festival. In the movie, there's a scene where the band The Happy Mondays poison hundreds of pigeons and they dance as the birds fall from the sky. Outside the movie's premiere, the actors from 24-hour party people made that scene a reality. They brought a suitcase of very convincing, yet very fake, dead pigeons, and they got into a fight in front of a posh restaurant. It was insanity. There were fake pigeons flying everywhere. They were landing on people's plates. Actors threw them at each other until the star, Danny Cunningham, literally bled. French security threatened the cast with mace. The Coen brothers happened to be there and they thought it was hilarious. So let's just imagine Picasso's painting of that. Bonjour, I am Amy Nicholson, chief film critic for MTV News and welcome to Skillset, the podcast where every guest is an expert and every week they teach you and me a new way to look at the movies. For the next couple of weeks, I will be in Cannes watching movies, eating baguettes, and avoiding insane actors. But fear not, Skillset will still be here bringing you amazing guests just like the ones we have on deck for this week. Our first guest, cat trainer April Mackin, taught kittens to survive a shootout while looking cute for the camera. Also ahead, actress Sienna Miller talks about her favorite acting movie, the Betty Davis backstabbing classic All About Eve. And we ask LA punk band The Muffs if the great new punk rock murder movie Green Room hits any off-key notes. That's all in this week's episode of Skillset. Comedians Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele have just released their first full-length movie. It's called Keanu, and in it they share the screen with an unusual co-star, a gray kitten. Or really, seven gray kittens, all playing the same part, like, say, the Olsen septuplets. The movie follows Key and Peele as they set out to rescue their kitten from a Los Angeles gang. It's a full-on action movie full of gunfights and explosions, and what amazed me about the making of Keanu is that that little kitten you see running around is an actual kitten. There's no fakery here, just seven talented cats and a really great animal trainer. April Mackin is that animal trainer. I tracked her down to find out how she got a kitten to do, well, anything. I find that a lot of the kittens that we get are fearless. They are very bold and they're very outgoing. But that being said, we still have our limitations. They are little ones and their attention span is going to be very short. Is training cats harder than training dogs? Yes, training cats is definitely harder than training dogs. Cats are very self-serving animals. They're about themselves. And dogs want to please you. So you have a lot more uh, things you can use when training dogs. With cats, we, they do like to be pet and they like to have their treats. But they pretty much like it when they want it. So that makes it more challenging and difficult to train cats. For Keanu, you used three kittens to start off the film. How did you how did you find the kittens and how did you cast them? Yes, in the beginning when the first three kittens were found, um, I do want to interject that I was working with another trainer by the name of Larry Payne. And he picked the first three kittens. First of all, we go to all the rescues that we can find. 
we want to rescue any animal for the film industry that we can. And when we're looking for them, the first thing we want to see is their, you know, their attitude and that they're outgoing. And that goes for dogs as well. The other thing we want to look for is that they match. With cats and kittens, we want to make sure that we can interchange them. When the first three kittens aged out and you were looking for the second round of stunt kittens, was there ever a moment where you thought, oh man, I wish we weren't trying to find striped tabby kittens. I wish we'd had a simpler solid colored cat. Yeah, you know, the, before they picked the kittens, the striped ones, there were the black and white ones that they were looking at, some tuxedos. And we thought, oh, the tuxedos, they'll, they'll be really difficult to match. Maybe we should stick with the tabbies, right? So we go to look for the second set of kittens, and we saw a lot of tuxedos. <laughs> we're like, oh, man. The shootout that you can see in the trailer, you're seeing, like, kittens running between exploding puffs of flour and gunshots and feet. Yes, yes, yes. We prepped that with special effects. Special effects and us worked together for as long as we could, and we start really far away with any kind of noises and things like that, and we let the kittens get used to it, and then we get closer and closer and closer to the sounds of the squibs and to puffs of smoke, you know? I mean, we, me and Larry, Larry Payne walking around with flour blowing it around, you know, <laughs> without squibs, so that they know this is what's happening. And we work with the kittens, and we spent a lot of time with the kittens. A lot of people waited to make sure that the kittens felt comfortable with the scene. And that is why you see such an incredible trailer. I mean, we were very awed by, the, by it ourselves when we saw you know, some of the footage that we did. And of course, the actors and all the uh, stunt and people knew the kittens were there and they were watching them. So the safety of the kittens w was number one. And the kittens knew it and they were very bold and they were very comfortable because it's something we practiced. You know, one thing I think that's so interesting about what you're, you did here on Keanu is with movies like The Jungle Book, which made lifelike panthers and tigers, there's this idea that pixels can do anything. Right. But Keanu, you used real cats. Yes. And there's no CGI. Why is that special? Well, that is special because, it, you know, in the industry now, it's so easy to use um, CGI that they're like, oh, don't, you know, don't worry about it. You know, we can fix this later. And part of that's a problem for us because one of the things that the animals need in order to perform is consistency. And they need to know you know, what we're asking of them. So if we allow them to get away with, you know, bad behavior, like, you know, wandering off of their space, their mark on the set, and we can't go in and fix it. And they say, Oh, no problem. We'll get that with CGI. Well, it is a problem because it's just going to consistency is the most important thing in training animals. We were able to produce for them, which is always our goal to do it, everything with the real animals, if at all possible. Now, we, we do have stuffies sometimes on set where we'll, you know, put the kitten in a coat and, and then run and there's a big fight scene and something's really bad. Well, we won't really have the animal in there. That's just using a stuffy. And we always had one available to us. But as far as I know, they did not use any CGI. All of everything we did was real. Well, April, thank you so much. I really appreciate all this. Like, it's been really, really interesting talking to you about all of this. You're very welcome. That was April Mackin, kitten trainer on the new Key and Peel film Keanu. 
go tell your pet that they're lazy and we will be right back. Our next expert is Sienna Miller, an actress I have watched closely since she burst onto the scene in Alfie and Factory Girl. Clearly, other people noticed her too, and she became the next hot starlet. She landed roles in huge blockbusters like G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. But what I've loved about her career is watching Sienna take the reins and figure out what kind of an actress she really wants to be, which turns out a really interesting actress, because in the last few years, she's given strong performances in films like Foxcatcher, American Sniper, Mississippi Grind, and her new movie, High Rise. High Rise is a wild sci-fi parable set in a sky-high condo where Tom Hiddleston's character learns that his neighbor, played by Sienna Miller, is an untrustworthy vamp. It is a big, mean movie with a big, mean role for an actress, so it made sense to me when Sienna mentioned that her favorite movie is Betty Davis's All About Eve. In that film, Betty Davis plays a theater actress who claws her way to the top, only to realize that once you're up there, everybody just wants to push you off. So I had to ask Sienna if All About Eve felt like fiction or a documentary. I think for a lot of people who aren't actors or in the creative world, they think that the life of an actress is a lot like All About Eve, but it can't possibly be that bad, right? No, and it's no, and it's Broadway and it's then. But I, I did find there was something so nostalgic about the idea of like sardis and reviews. And I, I must have watched it probably around the time when I was when I first did a play here on Broadway and um and there was just something so compelling about that world and, and the underbellies of it and someone clinging to youth but getting older and some you know, it, it, it just kind of touched on all these, all these themes that were, were fascinating and such a beautifully told story and so well acted, obviously. It's true. I can only imagine, you know, for, you, for you, having, like you said, done film and also done Broadway, to step into that Broadway world just feels like taking part in this great legacy. Is there a difference so much in the worlds of theatre and film? Oh, there's a massive, massive difference. It's, I think that theatre really is an actor's craft. I mean, th for me, the, the most inspiring part of any aspect of work is kind of being in a rehearsal room, and, and less and less people rehearse now for films, but the idea of sitting in a room, workshopping a play and really dissecting it, and then, and then the adrenaline of having to perform it, and then the fact that the director leaves and it really becomes yours. And where a play begins on the opening night and where it ends up by the time you finish is, just, is such a different thing. And I think having the space to really dig and explore something, it, it's really good training to then go on and do films because you, you have that kind of memory of, what, of how, how far you can go with something. And it's quite easy to get complacent in film. It, you can go again and again, but forced into that place of really thinking on your feet. Um, just the adrenaline of it, it's like jumping out of a plane for me. That makes me wonder if there's any of your films that you've done that you think would have been so fun to do as a play and to get to know that character and live an arc with them. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. I did a film actually with Steve Buscemi a while ago called Interview, and it was we basically did it like a, a play. It was nine days, the shoot, or nine nights, and we were shooting, I think, 30 pages of dialogue a day. And we had three handheld cameras, so there were no marks, there was no continuity because everything was just being covered in eight-minute takes. So it felt, it felt like theatre, and it, would have, it still would make a fascinating play. It was much more theatrical than cinematic, in a sense, just the script and the fact that it was a two-hander in one room. It's, it, it kind of, we did talk about doing it. I'd love to do that. But also, just because I love playing her, I would, I would like to be Edie Sedgwick sort of definitely once a year for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you remember when you first saw All About Eve? Um, it was probably about a decade ago that I first saw it. I just think that Betty Davis had charisma and presence that is almost unrivaled. I just think she's she's phenomenal, and the story was riveting, and I don't know, I loved it. So is this your favorite, your favorite Betty Davis performance? I'd say it probably was, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, that's like choosing a favorite child, but, I, but the film as a whole and her in it, I just, I loved it. Yeah, I love that she played women who didn't always behave, you know, which made me think a little bit of your role as Charlotte in High Rise. You know, you play this like larger than life girl with so much personality. Yeah, she was, and in, a sa- in the same way, she, there was something kind of vapid and careless and frivolous about her and, like, selfish and, like, a terrible parent in that 70s way. And I, she was a real mix of things. I think there's a vulnerability and, and a power and a kind of, to a certain degree, like a cat with a ball of string with these men and, and at the same time vulnerable and complex. But, I, you know, I think women are always a mixture of things and there is a Hollywood version of of women that I hope is changing and that I'm certainly not interested in playing, but, you know, that there are these complexities. And it was fun to explore that in this chaotic world of this film with with a director like Ben Wheatley, who I really think is a pretty bona fide genius, visionary man. It was boundaryless and bottomless, and we could have all done anything and we wanted in it. It was just a really, really creative environment. You know, I'm curious about this. Betty Davis always kind of seemed to be Betty Davis in a lot of her roles. You were drawn to the person that she you know, brought to screen. I've been thinking of your latest work, which has been so fantastic. You've been such a chameleon. Like one of the things I always notice is, oh my gosh, there's Sienna Miller. I didn't even recognize her because she was so buried in that character. I, I wouldn't be interested in kind of playing versions of myself. And so the ideal is to disappear as much as possible and play people that that are just vastly different from yourself. And also physically, I think people used to try and kind of were drawn to like keep keeping me looking to a certain degree like I look. And, and now I'm really, really opposed to that. I want to look completely madly different and everything for that reason. I just think it's not easy to keep working in this industry and you have to, you have to be surprising. That was Sienna Miller, star of the new movie High Rise, talking about her favorite movie, All About Eve. There's a new thriller out called Green Room that I really, really want people to see. It's about a touring punk band who is so broke that they play a gig for a white supremacist gang, whose leader is played by a truly terrifying Patrick Stewart. The band members include Anton Yelchin and Aaliyah Shawkat, and backstage at this punk show, they witness a murder. So the supremacists lock them in a green room, and from there, all hell breaks loose. Who better to send to see Green Room than a band that's been touring the world and causing their own havoc for over 20 years? The Muffs are one of my favorite bands of all time, and have been ever since I saw singer Kim Shattuck smash a beer can on a dude's head in Austin, Texas when I was in high school. She's amazing. So I started our conversation by asking Kim and her bassist, Ronnie Barnett, if watching the movie brought back any crazy memories. First of all, I want to say a punk club would never have a a dressing room, (laughs) especially not one that big. There's never a dressing room at any of these punk clubs ever. And if there is, it's a broom closet and it smells and it has vomit everywhere and graffiti. Yeah, no, I got to say the band members, they were 
They were all so dumb, it was hard to pick out who was going to be the drummer. Oh, whoa, music bank. Ronnie. I'm just, just a joke. Right, we know very we know a lot of really smart drummers. Well, listen, if we were stuck in that green room and all that shit was going down, well, first off, you'd look and see if there's an escape, like maybe a, a ceiling tile. They did down. look. They oh, they did, did look? look? Yeah, yeah. Oh, did I not? <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie I swear I watched them. You watched part of it. His, uh, yeah, he's, Here's where Ronnie probably needs to admit that he turned the movie off because he got freaked out by the gore. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Exactly. I'm quite squeamish. So, I, yeah, I was there for... I watched half the movie. I was kind of into the gore. I haven't seen a gory movie in a long time, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> I like that. I didn't want to be spooked by going into a punk club. God. Have you, have you ever run into white supremacists on the road? Um, well, there's one time where... Um, yeah, I'll, Early on in our career, we would get kind of punky crowds. I, I mean, our band, we can like, we play punk festivals and we play power pop festivals and we play nice acoustic, classy gigs. And We're like the kid in high school who can get along with football players, cheerleaders, and the geeks. So right. that's us. But, but the heavy punk crowd kind of went away, you know, early on. But, Thankfully. But we did have an early show in Ventura where, um, let's see, people were stage diving. And so many people were stage diving, and this one person kept doing it over and over, that I picked up a, a mic stand and put the bottom of it right in his back as he was jumping off the stage, and to push him off the stage. And so after the show, I found myself surrounded by four guys that said, why'd you, uh, why'd you do that to that kid on stage? He's a young skin. <laughs> skin then, meaning skinhead. Yes. Yeah. And then this one... This is like a scene out of a movie because this one goes, and he said this many times after this, don't fuck with the Ventura skins. And so <laughs> I'm panicking in my head, right? I've never been in a fight in my life. And so I'm like, uh, I don't know if you saw, this is the best I could come up with. I don't know if you saw, but you know, when he came up on stage, he knocked the mic, mic into my teeth. And so uh, I was just kind of giving him a push off the stage and the, and the guy goes, no, I didn't see that. And it cut, cued the guy. Don't fuck with the Ventura skins. <laughs> oh, God. Are skinheads the scariest people you can run into on the road? No. No. I, there's worse people. There's worse people. Sometimes they're just regular people and they just are in your face. And I was like, why? Why is it that the, all, the ugliest people go backstage and they're in your face the whole time you're backstage? When all the amazing looking people are the one... And like This is when I was single, obviously. But um, they, they're all just, they go home after the show. So wait, I want to ask you, one of the things I liked about Green Room is that the punk band they assembled for the film is a co-ed band. Yeah. Do you feel like they got co-ed dynamics in a band, right? Uh, Definitely, because the girl was the bass player. Oh yeah, the girl's always a bass player. <laughs> in a co-ed band. I, I, like, I like the drummer. I like when the drummer um, like strangled the guy with his legs. Drummers are strong a lot because of all the work they do on the drums. And I thought that was amazing. I thought, like, I liked how they weren't really too into killing people, like, for protection even, or for their own protection. Um, so when they did, after they killed people, they'd go like, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I felt like there was maybe an undercurrent here, and I wonder what you make of it, where... You think this band, when you first meet them, is like, oh, cool, hardcore punk band living in their van. And then right. they wind up at this white supremacist concert venue. And you're like, oh, wait, no, these punk kids are soft and out of their league. 
Yeah. Where there's, it's almost like the movie is talking about what really is hardcore lifestyle. Right. Well, the, the band, the band wasn't like these badass people. They just had attitude. And that's like us too, kind of. I mean, we're like screaming and loud and loud feedback and, but we're, you know, we're not like murderers or we don't do mean things to people generally, unless they ask for it and then we kick them in the face. <laughs> but, but basically you can feel really brave up on stage and it's, it's your environment. So if somebody messes with your environment when you're on stage, you tend to want to be violent with them or nowadays, our band is more like lovey-dovey with the audience because so we, we're older and, uh, you know, I mean, so we've been doing it for a long time. So I guess there's, it's just a different vibe now. But before, it was all just hardcore. We, and, you know, we, we got a lot of kind of like lungheads coming to our show when um, in 95 when we started getting a little more airplay and stuff like that. And... I was kind of glad when we stopped getting so much airplay and when the lunkheads kind of went away. It was weird. Because your audience gets bigger, it gets dumber. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I know I'm putting off a potential audience here. Well, no, I don't think they're going to think of themselves as the dumb ones. I can see why that band took that gig, though. I mean, 350 that's a lot of money for that gig. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. And they wouldn't have gotten paid before the headliner. That's, that's true. That's not, that's gonna not gonna happen. happen. Yeah. But they would... All that stuff about them like needing to clear the area in front of the room and all that's 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 pretty that's pretty yeah we've played a lot of clubs where where you get there and there's some lame band playing and and you're just like oh god and she's kidding we love all the bands we've ever played with no there's there's a couple of times where it was like i could hear them from the dressing room the tiny dressing room and i was just like oh god oh when's this gig gonna be over we go on stage, it's fine and everything's good. But then I realized what a terrible club because everyone is just not right. Like the, the people running the club are all like weird and probably on coke and doing just weird, illegal things. And you're just like, I want to get out of here. I hate this place. I prefer when we play with bands like that because we sound like the Beatles. When <laughs> it makes you sound like the Beatles when you play with bands like that. <laughs> Was there a little detail in this moment that rang true to you that you almost think people who haven't been through what you've been through touring on the road wouldn't even appreciate? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Like they, they were, ha they had an obviously tighter budget because they were siphoning gas, and we don't, we've never, I've never siphoned gas. Well, it's hard to do these days. I mean, everyone, even my car is 20 years old and it's got a locking, you know, gas. That's thing. true. I don't know how they did that, but. You know what? The the farting in the van is, I, man, you know what? You eat junk food on the road and you fart and it's funny to most it's of the not, people. It's not always funny though. That's the thing wrong with that scene. It's always funny with me. You cannot go wrong. The banana phone, hello, it's for you. And and farting in the van is always funny, no matter what. Kim is constantly scolded by me and Roy. I just don't roll down the window. <laughs> I wait until I fart. If anyone noticed the fart, then I roll down the window. But I don't roll down the window and then fart. This is bringing up weird feelings for me. <laughs> that was Kim Shattuck and Ronnie Barnett of The Muffs talking about the new movie Green Room. If you haven't seen it yet, you have got to check it out. Or else. I am so glad Kim and Ronnie could join us for this week's episode of Skillset. 
And I am so, so glad you could join us too. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Amy Nicholson, and if there's a movie question you want answered, tweet me. I'm at the Amy Nicholson. And tune in again next week for a new batch of experts, including actor Ty Sheridan, and hopefully a new, new way to look at the movies. Skillset is a production of the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV News and MTV Podcasts. You can subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.